Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. First brand that made an impact on you as a young girl. You know, um, I have one. Uh, so uh, my family moved to the U.S. from Puerto Rico when I was a teenager. And um, uh, my dad and I, uh, he used to have this uh, this part-time job uh, where he'd go in and uh, clean offices. And we would share a Coke. You know, sometimes I'd go and, and help him and we would share a Coke together. And, you know, it's, it, when you think about Coca-Cola, right, what a cliche that people use that as a brand. But my connection to that brand is so personal uh, because of these moments I, I got to share with my dad, uh, you know, when I was young and, and helping him. And and anyway, um, so I always think about Coke. Anytime I drink a Coke, I think about my dad because of that experience. So that's a brand that has had a connection with me. Uh, you know, the, the one that I think the deepest connection when I was a teenager, for sure. It's a great story, and I think Coke might call you to make an ad about that. (laughs) It's a perfect Coke ad. It's a true story. It's a true story of my dad and I. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today in the CMO podcast is Elizabeth Rivera Marquez, the Chief Marketing Officer at Dryers Grand Ice Cream. Dryers is owned by Freneri, a joint venture between Nestle and PAI Partners, a French private equity firm. Freneri makes a boatload of ice cream. It is the second largest global producer behind Unilever. The brand Dryers was founded in 1928 by a candy maker and an ice cream maker. And I, for one, am so happy they met. That partnership brought us two of the greatest flavor innovations in the history of the world, Rocky Road and Cookies and Cream. Elizabeth has spent her entire 17-year career at Nestle, working on a variety of brands, mostly beverages, following earning her MBA at the University of North Carolina, Kennan Flagler Business School. This is my conversation with Elizabeth Rivera Marquez. Welcome, Elizabeth, to the CMO podcast. You are the first CMO of an ice cream company on this podcast. And as a lifelong, passionate ice cream lover, I cannot wait to dip into this conversation. I love it. I love it. It's so nice to be with you today, Jim. I understand that you asked your children before we started what they thought I would ask you. What did your kids think I would ask you? My son, Joaquin, said you would ask me about my favorite ice cream flavor. I will do that. And my daughter, Lucia, said that you would ask me who my favorite family member is. (laughs) I want to meet her. She's very, yeah, that's a lot of her personality right there. I will not ask you that, but how did you respond to that? Well, I said my favorite ice cream flavor is Haagen-Dazs Dulce de Leche. And my son was like, of course it is. And then I said, uh, and my favorite person in this household, and for, of course, just for giggles, I said, your, your dad. And they all laughed. <laughs> Boy, you're good. This is going to be a good podcast. 
And that's one of my favorite flavors too. Oh, good, good. It is amazing. It's delicious. And it's definitely my daughter's favorite flavor. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. She's an ice cream nut too. And she's also a coffee mate nut. Oh, interesting. She has so much of that flavored coffee mate. She just loves it. I love it. I love it. And I know that's one of your famous brands at Nestle. Yeah, that's right. So I have to, we have to keep talking about ice cream for a minute before we get into your job. How many times a week do you eat ice cream? Oh my gosh. Basically at least six times a week, sometimes seven. It's part of the job, right? So uh, yeah, our kids, uh, we, we have an array always. All of our brands are always in our freezer. I think our household usually in, in a normal summer, it tends to be a favorite household of our neighbors because they know they can always come and get Haagen-Dazs, Drumstick, Outshine, all of our brands. A mutual friend also told me that you were a very popular mom at the soccer matches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am the ice cream lady. That's how uh, <laughs> kids know me. And in our household, I definitely have the favorite job when you ask our kids. Uh, they really, uh, they think it's so fun. Well, it is a great job. Are you a cone or a dish person? Oh, you know what? I am a dish person. I really am. And uh, I mean, preferably I have my own pint uh, person. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I am a dish person. Although on the weekends, you know, we like to get creative with our ice cream in our house. Our drumsticks are easy. So we eat those two on the weekends. They're easy on the go. So it depends at night, usually probably more of a dish on the weekends, more of a go with our outshine bars or our drumstick uh, cones. I'm a dish person too, except I do like to wedge ice cream between two homemade chocolate chip cookies. There's oh. just nothing better. So my daughter loves to bake and that's become a new tradition in this pandemic is that we will bake cookies and then we will make ice cream sandwiches and then we will decorate the ice cream sandwiches, uh, which makes it very fun and very festive. I really need to meet her. I think we're kindred spirits. <laughs> yeah, I think you are. I think you are. You would like her. <laughs> my wife's birthday is this week and I told her I would bake cookies and we would have uh, ice cream sandwiches. So I've oh. got a... And of course, I use Nestle Toll House recipe and the chips. You That's know, all that. great. That's great. And you can add some Hagen dazs right in between those two cookies. Absolutely. I'm going to stop talking about ice cream right now and get into, it is the CMO podcast. So we should get into a few things other than, than ice cream flavors. You've been CMO for a bit more than a year, and it's the first CMO role you've had, I believe. That's and right. this happened around when the joint venture was formed. Mm-hmm. And when the pandemic hit. So your entire tenure has been with new management in a way and in the pandemic. So I want you to reflect on that a bit with this, Elizabeth. Has has this been the toughest year in your career or the most challenging maybe is the better word? Certainly, certainly. And you hit right on, right? In February, uh, we became part of Franeri, our globalized from company. they're based out of Europe. So, you know, different time zone, new ways of working. And I remember this happened late February. Uh, Then I started this job and then we got this email that we were basically shutting, you know, the Bay Area down because of the pandemic. And I remember telling my husband, this is going to be three weeks, right? You go back to work. I go back to work. The kids go back to school. And here we are 14 months later, right? And uh, I think for me, it has been certainly tough. It has been a learning year. It's been a growing year for me personally. Um, You know, I I think myself, the team, we all went from working together, you know, in person, right? And and going to being at home, being full-time parents, full-time teachers, (laughs) doing this new new job, uh, learning new ways of working with our new companies. So it was, I think where it stretched me the most, I I feel like when I take a step back, 
the business part was probably the easier one, to be honest, right? Like we know these brands, we love these brands, but it was more around leading the team remotely, understanding that the team was going through their own, you know, changes with their families and all of the different things. It just all of a sudden collided together, right? Your work, your personal life um, and understanding that. So, yeah, absolutely. It's been a learning year, Um you know, some things have gone great and some things, you know, you learn from, right? So, uh, but it's been, it's been rewarding. It's what I'd say. I'd like you to click down on a little bit about what you've learned about yourself as a leader over the last year. Yeah. Listen, I'm a super transparent leader and my team knows that, right? Like, you know, sometimes I have great days and sometimes I have hard days, right? And we all do, especially I think this past year, um, there's been so many challenging things in our, in our country going on. And I'm always very honest with that, with them on them, you know, we'll start meetings and sometimes I'll say, gosh, today is a really tough day. Right. And I'm feeling this way. And I share that with them, you know, part of my role as a leader is to obviously keep them motivated and engaged. But I think part of that is sometimes being honest that the job can feel hard. The days can feel hard, you know, especially as we've all been home, um, you know, this past year in a different reality. So, you know, I think for me, that's part of what I try to bring is my whole self to the job every day. And sometimes my whole self is good. And then some days are really, really hard. And I, I want my team to feel like that's okay that we can all sort of have those moments and, and, you know, that's just part of being human. And that gives them permission to bring that same transparency and honesty to work, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think there's times when we get on calls and we all talk about the, the difficult parts of the day. And it's nice to have a little bit of that together that you can share. Right. Uh, and it also makes it feel like you're not so alone in those feelings. Uh, Cause I think we all have them in, in, in different ways. Right. So uh, yeah. Yeah. What do you feel has gone over the last, uh, you know, 14, 15 months? What do, you, what do you feel really happy about in your, in your new role, your relatively new role? And what do you wish you could have gone better? Yeah, listen, what I feel good um, about my new role in the past years, and we've gone through a lot of transformation, right, is when you think about a new company, um, you know, when you think about, we did a lot of transformation on our brands, new agencies came on board, um, you know, our teams. And I'm just so proud of how everyone on the team has just, and by the way, you mentioned the pandemic in the beginning, right? It's not a small thing. And I just feel super proud of the work we've accomplished with all those changes in the background, right? And what we've been able to do with our brands uh, and getting ready for this season. So I feel really proud of that. Um, it's been a year of challenges and and uh, in a year of, uh, you know, um, many factors that influence us as people um, and the team just rose up and, and, you know, just has done such an incredible job. So I feel great about that. I'd say that's what I feel most proud of. Super. And how about challenges? What do you what do you wish had gone better, faster, different? Challenges. Well, you can imagine, you know, this past year, we've been super fortunate and that, you know, um, our business has been up like a lot of food businesses, as you know, right? People are at home more, they're cooking more at home, they're eating more at home. I certainly... Uh, I mentioned to you, we eat ice cream here, I think six days a week, probably sometimes seven It's uh, a family, right? So that was um, the impact on the business was positive, right? I think we were so grateful we can bring a little joy to families during this past year. But that also meant that there were a lot of constraints on our supply and our factory, right? And, and I think if you were shopping out there in March and April, right? Like there were times that the shelves were empty. So, you know, there was a lot of work that had to be done on um, making sure that we were getting 
the products in consumers' hands when they needed it. Uh, so I think that was hard. I, but I think you know a lot of CPG companies went through the same. It, it wasn't it wasn't just us. Um, you know, I, I, the other part that I, I think was difficult and we worked through it is that as we went through the changes of new company, new ways of working. You wish that you could do that in person, right? Um, you know, I chat with our global, um, with our, 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 our global uh, CMO and, you know, we chat like this, always on video. I've met him one time in a year, right? In a traditional year, we would have been able to see our, our uh, European leadership more. We would have had a chance to get to know each other, right? In a different way. So that part is just, it is what it is, right? So I'd say that, um, you know, we, we probably could have accelerated our ways of working if it hadn't been, you know, because of how we, we've been uh, having to work this past year. But in retrospect, I think we we're in a good place, right? I think despite those things, uh, you know, the, the business is doing well, the, the brands are doing well, the teams are doing well. So that I reflect on and I, I feel good about. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Elizabeth, I understand you meet with your global CMO once a week, and you're going to do that later today, and you talk about the business. You also talk about the organization. Tell, tell us what kinds of things you talk about when you talk about the organization. Absolutely. Listen, we talk about, obviously, our brands. We talk about our teams, our people. We talk about the work that we're doing, the work that's coming ahead. So the discussions really go across, um, you know, the business, the team, and so on. So, yeah. And, you know, they're great discussions. What I love about is that he has a global ice cream perspective, and we're learning a ton. You know, um, Ferneri is a, is a deep ice cream expert. I feel like my technical uh, learning on ice cream continues to go up and up and up. So it's also a great opportunity to learn what other brands and businesses are doing globally? Are there things that we can borrow with pride or learn from? So our discussions really um, cross a range of topics. What do you think has been the large, the biggest change to your brand building approach or to brand building during the pandemic? You talked a lot about, you know, this is a new company, you're in a new role, you, you did a big agency review. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But when you think about how you build brands, what has shifted over the last 14 to 15 months? Yeah, I think, you know, going back to Ferneri's deep ice cream expertise, their love of ice cream, we're a pure play ice cream company now. And that's exciting, right? The resources we have um, are, are greater than they had been before, right? And that's because our sole goal is to win in ice cream uh, in the U.S. So I'd say that's been a big shift for us is ensuring that all of our brands are getting the investment they that they deserve, making sure that we're looking at the businesses um, and accelerating their, their investment and their growth. So I'd say that's been exciting uh, part of the change. All we obsess about now is ice cream, right? I think, and you know, Jim, we know each other from the previous uh, Nestle days. And, you know, you were in a company that had a portfolio of brands we played in different categories. Right now, we all wake up and we think about one thing. We think about ice cream all day long. So that's been a big shift for us. Yeah, it's very powerful, actually. When you think about a lot of the great companies of the world, they started with one thing. And and that one thing is still what drives the company, Google, Facebook, Intel, you know, they start with one thing and, st- and never got complacent about it. 
That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I know. I know we're going to talk about haagen later today. And I think about those founders and that's all Ruben and Rose obsess about, right? And in some ways, uh, we're doing that again today, which is great. Well, I want you to talk about this review of agencies you did this year. That's a big one. That's a big capability you tackled in year one. And and I want to start with this is a this is a process or situation so many marketing leaders find themselves in. This decision about am I working with the right people? What should I bring in-house versus outsource? So I'd love you to start with why you decided to review your yeah. agencies and and what did you learn in that process that might help others? Sure. You know, as you said, it is a big undertaking and we've had had wonderful partners for many, many years. Right. So when we think about when you're taking that decision of making such a big change, right, it's a deep conversation, lots of considerations. I think where we had reached a point on on our brand and, and on haagen is that. You know, the brand itself, uh, while growing and, and doing well in the market, right? Our brand has a lot of strength, a brand with a lot of, um, a high awareness. Consumers know it. You and I talked about sort of how deep the roots are there. Um, but we felt like it was the right time for the brand to go through an evolution and really focus around how do we reflect more um, the consumer sentiment of today? How do we ensure that as a brand, we're evolving with the consumer trends? And, and it felt like it was a great time, Jim, to bring in some new fresh thinking to help us do that. Uh, you know, a, 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 an agency that would maybe look at it differently uh, and help us also look at it differently. So it just felt like it was the right time uh, as we were going through our, through our transformation. Got it. And the process is, is, as you know, interesting as well. Yeah. Did you look at agencies on all the brands or just Hagen Dazs? Yeah. So we actually have a new agency on Hagen Dazs, uh, Cartwright. Uh, and then we also have a new agency on Outshine that we uh, leveraged this past year, The Many. Got it. So uh, as you went through this, did you decide that there's any work you wanted to bring inside versus outsource? Did you talk about that a lot with your team? And did you make any decisions that would be interesting for our listeners to learn from? Yeah. You know, I think... Um, it, it, we, as being part of Nestle, I think one of the luxuries that we had is that, you know, they have so many uh, resources there, right? If you think about, um, you know, we have an internal media team, right, that helps with the media buying, as an example, right? You have internal uh, creative experts that you leverage. All of that, as we became our own company, that became, we became our own, uh, our own team in that respect. Even research, right? You know, uh, areas like that, all of those capabilities were brought in-house. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of discussions around, you know, uh, while, um, you know, our teams were used to having these extra uh, experts to go to, we all of a sudden in many ways became them uh, and making sure that our teams felt uh, like they were in a position to, to take that on, but also bringing partners that could help us as well. I think that was part of the change that we made. So yeah, lots of discussions on what we had before, what we have now. But, you know, frankly, Jim, as I reflect on it, you know, parts of it were hard, right? It's, you know, when I think about um, some of the things that we've taken on, but it forced us to be faster with decisions, not overthink it. And I think sometimes, frankly, we couldn't overthink it because maybe we, we just didn't know, uh, you know, all the aspects of it, right? We move faster. We've been just more nimble. Uh, and I think in some cases, we probably have been um, leaned in a little bit more and maybe taken some, some risks that uh, are different now that we maybe wouldn't have taken before. So yeah, absolutely. It, it's been a, a bit of a change and evolution for all of us. Yeah. Now you're, you're in your first year as CMO. How do you spend your time? 
And when I, if I had to look at your diary, what would it tell me about where you're focused and where you're spending your time? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think as I took on this role, I went from leaving the Hagen dazs brand and then took this role overseeing all of our, all of our businesses. And, you know, when you get to obsess over one business, right? It's like, for me, what a luxury for three years. I really did enjoy it. As I took this role, I thought I'll spend a ton of time on all the businesses. What's surprising for me is I spend a lot of time on, on people and on, you know, we talked about leading the team through the transformation. So I think I was surprised how how much time we spend there, but in reflection, given that we're a new company going through the changes this past year, probably not surprising, but I do spend a ton of time with our teams. I'm very involved with them, you know, especially now here we are um, getting ready for the ice cream season. So a lot of our time has been spent getting ready uh, on our creative side, making sure our, our innovations are in the market, that they're doing well. So uh, yeah, my diary, my calendar is pretty heavy, uh, starts a little bit on the earlier side these days, but it's a variety of all of those things. And then, you know, um, some of our brands have, uh, you know, bigger investment budgets and some have smaller. So we also have a lot of discussions around how we grow our businesses that maybe don't have the luxury of, of higher PFME. And that's also part of the discussion. What I love is that I'm spending time on today, but I'm spending also a lot more time on 2022, 23 on the future, which is um, also really exciting. If you were to give advice to someone coming into their first CMO job, what would that be after spending uh, your first 14, 15 months as a new CMO? Yeah, I think for me, listen, um, in the beginning, I think it's about being uh, clear with your teams on uh, you know, how you want to work together, being clear on what the goals are, the objectives. Um, I think I shared with you is for me, it was also about being transparent around, I was new to this job, right? And, and you remember your first job. I remember my first manager job, my first uh, director job. You're also learning, right? So you are bound to make a couple of mistakes along the way. And being honest and transparent with your teams on that, I think is important. And don't be afraid to course correct, I'd say is the other piece, right? And, and um, I tend to be a very decisive person. Uh, and sometimes we will make a decision that maybe felt right at the time and isn't any longer. And, and let's fix that, right? And, and don't sit on it and, and, you know, don't wait for it. I, I think it's okay. Um, so I think those are the pieces of advice I, I, would, I, would give, um, I would give someone coming into the job. And then obviously getting to ensure you know your whole team, understand what, you know, motivates them, what drives them, and keeping that in mind, right, as you're, as you're building the businesses and building the teams. I have a couple strategy questions for you, Elizabeth, because I think you're wrestling with a couple issues that so many others are wrestling with. And one is you're in a, you're in a very big category and a very established category. And it's a category like many others, I guess beer is the most obvious example, where it has lots of innovation in ingredients. It has lots of local brands, lots of startups, lots of small brands. And you have very big brands that are pretty established. So, and your advantage obviously is your knowledge as you talk about, you're an ice cream company, you can go deep, great technical expertise. And these other companies might be more agile, more swift, more story-based, if you will. So what have you learned about competing against all these small brands, startup brands? What, 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 what have you learned that could help others? 
Yeah, I mean, you said it right. We've been in business since 1928, right? So we have seen a lot of brands come in, uh, a lot of brands come in and, and go out as well, right? I think for us, it's been about um, focusing on our businesses, being true to what our brands are, understanding what's changing in the environment and evolving with our consumer and the trends as well, right? I think you can't be in a category like this and, and not expect to have the constant innovation, new new brands coming in, uh, new players coming coming in. I think it's an exciting time, frankly, for ice cream. When I think about this past year, there were people that maybe had either left the category, uh, they came back, right? Um, it, you know, they came back because they're spending more time at home. They're they're eating more meals in their family at home. So uh, frankly, for us, it's, it's always exciting and it's exciting for different reasons. And our job now is, as we brought in all these new consumers, how do we make sure we retain them? How do we keep our brands relevant for them uh, as we go forward? What could we look forward to? You said the summer's coming up. You're working a lot. Is there anything you can disclose to us or anything that's public about what's yeah. going to be interesting this summer in terms of ice cream? Yeah, listen, what I'd say is, uh, uh, you know, we're so excited by our, about our new campaign on Haagen-Dazs, uh, which I know, um, you know, we'll chat a bit about and, and the work that we have done there to really, you know, uh, make that brand evolve with uh, consumer trends, consumer sentiment today. So that's coming and it's coming really, really soon. And so proud of the work that team has done as well there um, and, and the partnerships that we have built on that. So that's new and coming. So I'd say that's one new thing. We have new items also. So coming across some of our other brands. So on Outshine, we have a new product, Simply Indulgent Bars. Uh, there's a coffee bar. Uh, if you like coffee, that's amazing. Uh, we also have a chocolate bar there. And then on our Dryers Edie's brand, we also just launched a new Rocky Road collection, the most indulgent collection, uh, amazing ingredients. And it's rooted on Rocky Road, which Dryers invented many, many years ago, and this idea of bringing innovative flavors to consumers. So we have a lot of exciting things coming that I hope um, ice cream lovers out there will really, really enjoy. Does your Rocky Road collection harken back to the origin? Because I think it's such an interesting story. It was named in the Depression. That's right. It was an indulgence that the founders created for the times that the country was going through at that time, which were rocky. That's exactly right. And you could say our times right now are rocky. You've hit it right on. That was the inspiration. Absolutely. You know, we were the inventors of Rocky Road and, and you said it rightly. It was uh, about bringing something to bring people joy in a time that was really, really difficult. And the team took that idea and created a whole collection of items that were inspired by that. So I mentioned um, uh, the salted pretzel caramel path is a, is one of the skews under there, which is a family favorite of ours. But it is that it's about bringing a little bit of joy, uh, Jim, to people during these difficult times this past year. I want to go a little deeper on what you raised a few minutes ago. And this is an, another strategy question. You have a, you, you have a portfolio, a, a, a great portfolio. And you talked about how you look at some of the bigger brands and some of the smaller brands. And you think about how do you uh, maximize the potential of each and you're restaging Haagen-Dazs as we speak. How do you make, how do, what, what, do, what, are your, what are your lessons, your habits about thinking about the portfolio? I find few companies do portfolio management well because obviously the goal is to grow your market share as a company and using the brands in different ways to do that is an art and a science. And I think it's hard. It was hard at p and I mean, we wrestled with that. And I find so many companies that I talk with today and work with, it's a struggle. And I, I'm not sure that we have the best practices 
as refined as we could as yeah. as a marketing discipline. So any lessons learning on how you do that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really great question. And I think for us, you know, we are so fortunate. We have brands in our ice cream portfolio that um, deliver against different consumer needs, right? So when you think about um, our outshine bars and healthy snacking. And when you think about Hagen dazs it's much more about the indulgence. So our, our jobs have a clear role that they play in, in consumers, uh, in consumers mind. What I'd say is, and this is where I think the lessons of my early marketing career is, have become useful is that, as you know, there's different ways to think about how you grow your businesses, right? And when we think about our portfolio, the brands play a different role. We evolve them and grow them in a different way, right? It's not always a more traditional ways of investment and marketing. You can't do that across all of the brands in the same way. So I think it's understanding the levers that you have, uh, understanding um, how you can grow and drive the business. You know, I always go back to my first job as a marketing uh, manager. I was uh, given this promotion uh, to run Nescafe Classico, uh, which is a um, instant coffee brand owned by Nestle. It's a global brand, Nescafe, but it's uh, anchored uh, in Mexico is where the brand uh, originated. And they gave me this job and I was so excited. And they said, oh, by the way, you have no money and you have, um, you don't have a team yet. Eventually you'll have a, uh, someone. And, uh, you know, first time, right, you get so excited. You're like, of course, I'll do anything, uh, you know, even if we don't have any, any money or any resources. And I learned so much from that job. And there's so many things there that I still take today, right? Because you know, when you're forced to, to, to run a business with limited resources, you're selling as much internally as you're selling externally. It forced me to really learn about the customers. It forced me to really understand, you know, the consumer, but it also forced me around how do we advocate for the right resources for the brands in the right way? Because not every brand needs the same as you know. And I think that I always go back to those days because there were so many um, good learnings that I apply to today. So when we think about our businesses and how we grow them, it's number one, understanding the consumer, number two, understanding the opportunity, and then finding the right tools to drive that opportunity, right? And they're not all the same as you know. You know, some brands, it's more about the traditional consumer investment. Some is about getting them in the right place at the right time. So for me, I, I always think about that first job when I think about the role of the brand, where it is in the market, and the right ways to grow it. And, you know, marketers in general, I feel like sometimes we learn more when we have less right? Because it, it forces you to be more inventive. It forces you to think about things differently, right? Um, you know, I could solve a lot of issues with PFME, with marketing investment, right? I can't solve them all, but you can solve a lot of them. But thinking about when that maybe is not the, the, the resource that you have available, then how do you get creative? And I think our teams do a great job, whether it's through innovation on dryers, EDs, and bringing something that's relevant for the consumer today, or whether it is this uh, transformation on Hagen dazs that, that, that we mentioned earlier. Um, it's about thinking about those things in that way. How do you keep all your teams motivated? Some of them are on higher priority brands than others. How do you be sure that everyone feels like they're in a great job? That is such a great question. You know, I think we talk about we win in, as one team, right? So when there's a success on brand A, brand B or C should feel just as excited about it. So I think as a company, we talk about we want to win in ice cream. So we always go back to that, right? And a win that another team has is a win for us too. So I think that's first and foremost, being now a pure play ice cream company, I think our our, our focus is that. The other piece too is understanding what motivates people, right? And, and I think it goes back to, 
every job that you have teaches you something different, right? And it's about being open to learning what that different thing is. So then you could apply it to the next role. I frankly think you learn just as much on brands that don't have resources as brands that do, right? In a greater way. And it's, and it's making sure that the teams are having opportunities to learn and grow in their roles, despite if it's a brand that has a high investment or a lower investment approach uh, in the market. So for me is, is about those, you know, two things we all went, if, if one brand wins, we all win because we want to win in ice cream. It's about making sh- sure people are learning and growing in their role and then taking away those nuggets as you build your own playbook on, you know, how you run businesses and every job will give you something to take away. How do you think about brand purpose with your portfolio? I mean, it's a concept that we talked about when you were at Nestle. It's a concept we talk about a lot in this podcast. So how do you think about brand purpose now with your portfolio, with your new ownership? How do you talk about it? How do you think about it? Is it important? So share yeah. with us a little bit of your learning on that. Absolutely. You know, on, on Haagen-Dazs, uh, I'll use that as the example. You know, we had a, a reflection this past year, this last summer, um, so a, a bit over a year ago around, our brand really um, had not evolved with consumer sentiment, um, consumer trends. You know, we, we were in a position where we felt like um, you know, we could do more, right? And, and, and really have a greater role in some of the, 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 uh, the things that were happening, you know, in our country. And it gave us a, a good time to reflect and think about how can we be, um, you know, part of the solution. And in our case on Hagen, that's the way we thought about it is we went right back to our brand beginnings, right? Um, we, we thought about Ruben and Rose who started this, brand of amazing ice cream, right? They were such creators, right? You know, these Jewish immigrants, right? Who live in, in the Bronx, right? And, and they had this great idea and they were able to bring their idea to life. And for us, our purpose, and when we think about that on Hagen Das, it's about that. It's about how do you support underrepresented tastemakers, marginalized creators, uh, and give them our brand as the platform to share their vision, to share their voice. And that for us has been so, so exciting. Um, you know, we kicked it off with Lena Waith, uh, who you may know. She's incredible. She's a creator. She's a writer. She's a CEO. She's an actor. I mean, her list of credits is long. But you know what impressed us about her and why we partner with her is because of the work that she's doing uh, with the mentorship lab, right? So Hillman Grad Productions, she has a mentorship lab and she offers these internships to help bring talent, underrepresented talent, marginalized talent into the film, the writing community. And we love that. And we met her and her passion felt like it was so aligned with the work we wanted to do, uh, with the work that we wanted to bring on Hagen das and really give our brand uh, to those underrepresented creators, right? As a way to share their voice and, and really help us, you know, Ice cream, uh, Hagendas is a small luxury, and we know that, right? Um, and how do we make sure that it's a luxury for all? You know, our consumer base is very diverse. Um, we wanted to represent that also as well. So we're super proud of the work that we have kicked off and are and, and really starting with Lena. But really beyond that, you'll see our campaign uh, highlights. Uh, tastemakers, creators that we're partnering with, and we're having them 
define what luxury means to them in their own point of view, right? It's not what it means to us. It's what it means to them and giving them our platform to communicate that, uh, which for me is super exciting. Uh, and it really does bring it back together on the role, the purpose, the role that we can play as brands and how we can, um, you know, support others. So, you know, looking forward to doing more of that and, and really it's now part of our of our DNA. It's not a, we shouldn't think about this as a campaign just to drive the business. We're doing it because it hankers back to, anchors back to our founders, the work they started. And we think it's a really great continuation of that. It's a lovely idea. What, what was the catalyst for it? How did the, how was the idea born? Yeah, I think last summer, as you know, our country was going through some very challenging times. Um, and we, as a brand, started by making a donation to the Equal Justice Initiative, right? And that was sort of step one. But it caused us to take a lot of reflection on, you know, we didn't want that to be one, the only thing we did. We felt like we could, in our own way, help support um, underrepresented talent, uh, marginalized creators. And, you know, it, it gave us a time to reflect and think about uh, how do we use our brand to do that? So it started with that and really has turned into a great partnership with Cartwright uh, and working with them on creating our new campaign, that's Daz, uh, and bringing in these incredible creators uh, and, and highlighting their talent and, and helping uh, having helping us define what looks luxury is, uh, walking away from sort of the old ways of premium and, and defined today by by the many. So um, that's not sort of how it started, right? It, it was with that um, one moment in time where, where we took a step back and thought, gosh, we, we need to do more. We should do more. Uh, should we expect the product to change? So, I mean, Hagen Daz, amazing, right? The quality is always yeah, is. Uh, top and foremost. So what you're going to see is our packaging is evolving uh, as well as part of our new launch. And, you know, that's an interesting story. We um, had been working with uh, Keith Cartwright at the Cartwright Agency, and we had, you know, this great campaign that we all felt like we are going to feel so proud of this. And then we looked at our packaging. And I remember this. We were on a call with Keith, uh, who's the founder of, of Cartwright, and he said, that our, our packaging tapestry looked a bit like a doily. You know, that hurts. I thought, Ooh. gosh, you know, I worked on that. But um, we had a moment there where we thought, um, he's not wrong. You know, we, we have to kind of bring our packaging to meet uh, the work that we're doing and, and you know, reflect a, a different perspective and, and visually change that. So you will see new packaging. It's hitting shelves already. It looks beautiful. We'll have to send you some so you see it. Uh, but yeah, that was one of those uh, moments where, you know, someone says something about the brand and you can either, you know, be offended by it or really take a step back and say, you know what, you're, you're not wrong. We could do better and we're doing better. So, and the team works so fast. We have never launched packaging as fast as we did uh, on this, on this campaign. So we worked with an amazing partner to do that, but that is showing up now. So it'll show up with our, with our new, uh, with our new campaign. Podcast is wonderful. Now I'm getting free ice cream. So I'm, I'm having totally. a great day. Good, good. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. It's always a good time for ice cream. Elizabeth, you're working for uh, a president who's a president for the first time, Kim Pettelgwim. So she's a woman that I know, a Nestle woman, XP&G. And she came out of marketing. She's a great marketer. So I want you to talk a little bit about the CMO, CEO, or president relationship. What do you and Kim work on together? What kinds of things do you talk about? What's your ritual with her? 
So how have you gotten off to a great start in this role with her? Because I know sure. you know you've known her well for many years. Yeah. So Kim and I have known each other for 17 years uh, when she was a uh, marketing manager on innovation uh, at Nestle. And I was an intern. Uh, so it was 18 years ago, actually. Uh, that's when we met first. And, uh, and I admire Kim so much, right? She's such a smart uh, marketer, such a strong businesswoman. There's so many things I learned about her over the many years I worked with her. Um, and lucky enough, the four years she called me and she said, hey, we have this opportunity uh, at Dryers. Um, would you be interested? And uh, I think I had like a week to decide um, to move my family. And we did, right? And and it was wonderful. And I've learned so much. You know, Kim and I have some uh, interesting rituals. We actually live six minutes from each other. Uh, when we lived in LA, we lived six minutes from each other. But on Sundays, we go on these walks, right? And we meet and we do about a four and a half mile loop. And we talk a lot about the business on those in those walks, right? We talk about personal things, but we talk about the business. And, you know, I love that I get this time with her that it's just my time. And it's on Sunday. So I think we're all more relaxed, but, you know, we talk about the brands, we talk about the work we're doing. We talk about the teams and the people and the transformation that we're doing as a company. I seek her advice on things. You know, she's a marketer at heart, as you know, Jim, right? Your PNG days. Um, so I use her as a sounding board for things, um, you know, both on, on the business and, 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 and the brands and the teams. So that's how it's a, a new ritual. We started in the last year that I still look forward to. We do it early, like 730 AM, um, and it's and it's I have a great relationship with her and I admire her, you know, and uh, as we're going through our own transformation this past year, I've just continue to learn a lot from her. I love that. The Sunday morning walks. Yeah. It's a wonderful ritual. One last sort of business and marketing question before we jump into the creative brief, which is our final section of the podcast. So many companies have had a great year and some have not, but so many have had a great year because of the changes in habits and practices. And you're one of them that has benefited and you have new consumers, maybe who haven't been in your brands before or haven't made ice cream a ritual, but now do. What do you do with that? How do you, you mentioned that earlier in the podcast, but what, what, what advice would you have for others who have the same dynamic? They have new consumers in the category, whether it's exercise, whether it's other food and beverage brands. Sure. So how do you keep them in the category and, and grow the pie a bit? Yeah. You know, I think part of that is understanding maybe why they were not there before mm. or why they left. Right. And, and I, I think Hagen Dazs is a great example, right? A brand that we needed to evolve. And, you know, there were probably consumers that had, were seen as an, as a bit of old fashioned, right. And, and, um, and, and maybe traditional. And I think part of understanding the why maybe they were not participating in our category and or our brands is part of how you build the future of these businesses and how you work to keep them, right? So a lot of work there is going in and, and understanding that and making sure that, you know, people came and they, we know our products are amazing, right? So we know we could get them with that, right? That our ice cream, our ice creams are incredible, great quality, um, but it's understanding then how do we retain them? So, which is part of the work that we're doing as well, right? Across our businesses on Outshine on Hagen Dust. Now let's move into the creative brief section where this is about insights about you as a person and as a leader, your favorite ice cream story. So before I joined the, the Haagen-Dazs team, I was still working at Nestle. I took my kids to have ice cream at one of our Haagen-Dazs shops in Glendale, California, right? And we go up and order our ice cream cones. And uh, of course, we turn around. And what do you think happens? My son does. He drops the cone on the floor, like immediately. 
And, you know, it goes from pure joy and happiness. He has his haagen cone to pure meltdown, right? In a public place with many people. And it's my favorite story because the, the young man working in the, in the shop immediately scooped up this new cone, this new ice cream, put it on a cone for my son, just handed it to me. I, clearly this has happened before, but I love that story because then fast forward three years later, I'm sitting in front of the Hagen Dash Shops team, and it was my first week on the job. And uh, I got to tell that story, and I got to tell how um, our employees just took that moment from it was joy to mystery for my poor, you know, three, four year old at the time to pure joy again. And I love that story because I think ice cream can do that for all of us, right? I think, I think ice cream is good if you're having a tough day. I think ice cream is good if you're having a great day. But I, I do love that story because um, I think that was my first real interaction with, with the Hagen dazs brand in a personal way. And, and I love that we still try to do that today. Bring people, bring people joy, make them smile. Well, good for that uh, employer associate being empowered to take that decision, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, that happened to me once as a kid, and and the person in that ice cream shop did the same thing, and I, I remember it to this day. It's a power. Isn't that yeah. so funny? And my son remembers it till this day. He yeah. Remembers that yeah. it is really really interesting. So yeah. The biggest lesson you learned at Nestle that you carry forward. Yeah, you know, I um I share this story sometimes when I talk to other uh, female leaders. Um, I had just um had had my uh second child and I had home two kids under two. So my son was 18 months old when my daughter was born and I had just returned to work and our wonderful leader uh, in, in the beverage division at the time gave me an expanded scope of work, which was so exciting, right? So I had gone out, I was a director and I came back uh, in a director role, but with more responsibility. And I, um, it was so hard, Jim. It was so, so hard right here. I had these two babies at home. I was, we were launching a new innovation. I was also overseeing some base businesses. And um, I had to go to him and tell him that I, it was too much, that I had to scale back. Because at that time in my life, it, I just could not give the work what it needed. I could not give the team what they needed. I certainly could not give my family what they needed. And I was way low, low on the list. And I always share that example because, you know, at that point, it felt like such a failure. Like, you know, here I am asking for less work, right? I worked so hard. I went to business school um, and I did that because I want to continue to grow in my career. And here I'm asking for a step in my mind at the time was back. And I share that because I, 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 I'm so grateful I did that, right? There's different times in our lives where we can push and be in a position to, to, to maybe give it more. And there's times where that may not be possible. And I think sometimes, and, and maybe this is a, a generalization, but I think women, especially, we're very hard on ourselves, right? In situations like that. So I think that was a good lesson for me. And I carry it forward. Like always be honest with yourself on when is the when is the right time? And sometimes it is right to push for that next scene. And there may be times times where you have to um, step back, and that is all okay, right? I think it's keeping the broader picture of your career, not just that one moment in time. So I always think about that when I think about Nestle. It's less about a business lesson and more I think of a personal lesson. Mm -hmm. And the Nestle manager, I assume, responded well to that. Oh, he was great. He was great. He he said okay. Thanks for letting me know. And, you know, I was able to work on a role that was right at the time. And then I got a call less than a year later to come to Ice Cream and work on haagen -Dazs. And then here I am today. So I think it, having that long-term uh, perspective, I think is helpful sometimes. Now, I want to know the most notable advertising campaign or marketing campaign that you've been associated with. 
Ah, oh, well, I think this new one on Hagen Das is going to be amazing. So I'd be remiss not to bring that up. So we're launching our new campaign, that's Das, uh, which I think we share a little bit about with you. And, and it goes back to, you know, uh, the transformation that we're doing as a brand and really understanding that we had not evolved with the consumer and, and having some reflection on that and having an opportunity through our work, starting with Lena Waith, as I mentioned, to bring and help lift a new generation of underrepresented tastemakers and and talent out there, they needed a platform. So I am so proud of it. The fact that our brand uh, can bring a voice to so many, the fact that we can redefine what luxury means uh, through their voices, I have to say it's really an exciting time. And then the contributions, obviously, they were making to help lift those talents financially and the commitment we're making over the next three years, we'll be donating $1.5 million to help lift uh, those uh, underrepresented voices and and allow them to have a, a different role in our brand. What I love about it is that we've done that in every aspect. You know, when I think about the young photographer Tyrell Hampton that we hired to do our all of our out of home and our print, he's a young up and coming photographer, right? Uh, And his work is incredible. I'm proud that we brought him. I'm so proud of our director, Dexter Navy, who started, uh, was fun on Tumblr. I mean, that is so, that's very unusual for big brands, you know, to approach it that way. And, And certainly so proud of our partnership with Cartwright and and having them help us um, write this next chapter of our brand. And and then I'm also proud of the fact that we're doing right by our founders, right? And they were creators also uh, and had the opportunity to bring their own vision and their own ideas um, to life through our brand Haagen-Dazs. And now we get to do that for others. So I am super proud of this work. I cannot wait for you to see it. Uh, We're all very, very excited. And we're very excited about what we can do for others, really, Um, you know, through the efforts and the work of the brand. And uh, it feels like we can have some positive contribution in a bigger way, not just the business, but in a bigger way uh, today. And you know what I bet will happen? I bet this work is going to inspire so many outside your company, but it's going to inspire a lot of people inside your company to think differently about their work, their brands. I'll be eager to see in a year how other brands in your portfolio have inspired, have been inspired to do some different things on their own. Yeah, no, it's really exciting, right? We are in in a time right now where, you know, we can help drive um, change, right? And and we have to think about what is the platform you have, right? I use your podcast as an example, right? To do that, um, what platforms do we have? And and in our cases, our brands, and how do we use those in the right way? Uh, I think that, um, I think it makes the job also feel um, like it can be more impactful, right? And I think we can all be proud of that. I know our teams are very, very proud of the work that's coming. They worked really hard on it, and I'm excited to see it out there. Is there anything that you're watching, listening to, reading that is interesting for you, interesting for our listeners? Yeah. Um, so I'm reading a book on cultural differences. You and I talked about, uh, you know, uh, working on a company that's global and that's been, uh, that's been interesting. Um, I read a lot of kids books, Jim, uh, because, you know, I have a, a seven and an eight year old. We just finished line of stories, you know, but for me, um, uh, you know, in terms of, of the things that I'm curious in, uh, staying super connected to what's happening in culture today, right? And, and having an understanding of that and, and having a, um, you know, trying to listen, right, to that more and, you know, think about um, what role we can play and 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 to, to help and, and in small ways being part of, of, of a solution. I think for me, that's where it's, I'm spending a lot of my time right now. Um, 
is, is doing more listening there. Who would you like to hear in the CMO podcast? Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. I'm so glad that you asked me that question. So many. Well, I went through all your podcasts and there were so many interesting ones. Um, well, you mentioned that I, 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 um, I love fashion, which is true. Um, I love some of the work that, uh, Tori Birch has done, you know, not just on her brand, but, you know, the way that she's also lifting women through her work and through her organization. So I think that's a super interesting one, uh, that I, that I would love to, um, to hear. But I think there's also some, um, smaller companies that are up and coming and, and growing that, uh, CMOs facing different challenges, right? So not just the big companies. I'd love to hear some maybe from some smaller companies. And, and I think there's a lot we can learn, uh, from that. Last word to you. Any question for me before we sign off after this wonderful conversation we've had? Oh, thank you. So nice to see you. Well, I'd love any advice for me. You have so much experience. Uh, when you think about everything that's happening uh, in marketing today, everything that's happening in the world today, any, any words of uh, wisdom that you can share with me, especially my, my, my new role uh, that I can use, I would love that. Any advice? Well, what I loved you hearing you say today is you're looking around the corner a lot. You're spending more of your time in the future. There are a few people in any company thinking about the future. We're all caught up in the short term. So keep the discipline on that. Your, your role is to help prepare your company for what's next. And I think the work you were doing with your ad and media agencies, the work you're doing in haagen I think keep that up and make sure everyone learns what you learn with this relaunch of haagen So keep working, keep working with your team, which you're doing. You're doing some beautiful work in that space. Keep, make sure your calendar reflects time that you were spending about pre to prepare your company for the future. I think that's, that's really huge. You know, we are, the, I think the, the pandemic has hit so many people in a way where they're thinking very carefully about their life and their time in this world. And I think, how do you deal with that as a category? You know, indulgence is beautiful, but there's really a huge health and fitness and wellness wave that isn't going to go away. And I think the role your brands play in that would be interesting to talk about with your team. I'm sure you are. That's great. No, thank you so much. I appreciate it. So great to spend time with you today. Isabel, have a great weekend. We're recording this on Friday. Enjoy that soccer game. Bring some ice cream. I wish I was there. <laughs> Thank you. Don't worry. I'm going to send you some. All right. Very good. Bye. That was my conversation with Elizabeth Rivera Marquez. Three takeaways from this one for your business and life. The first one, team leadership. How to be a great leader of a team. Elizabeth is a master at this. She takes a walk with her boss on Sunday mornings. She's transparent with her team about when she's having a good day, when she's having a bad day. She's a very clear, decisive, transparent, caring leader. Second lesson, this is one about purpose. Always go back to the founders. What was the reason a founder began a brand? And make sure you understand that and think about how to bring that to life today. They are restaging haagen -Dazs. They went back to the founders, what they cared about, and they are bringing that through to their marketing and their brand positioning. Third lesson, be honest with your boss. Elizabeth told a story when she was at Nestle about she had too much on her plate. She had young children. She couldn't do it all. She went to her boss and said that. The boss listened, understood, changed her scope, and she went on to a super career after that. And this is a bonus lesson. It's always a good time for ice cream. Never forget that. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. 
If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.